Welcome to LaGrave Avenue CRC's Sermon Podcast. We are living in an age where anger abounds, and that anger can lead us down some dark paths. But how should we respond to our anger? You're listening to Going Deeper, If Anyone is Angry with a Brother or Sister, by Reverend Peter Yonker. Our Bible reading this morning is from the Gospel of Matthew, from the Sermon on the Mount. It's the second of our sermon series on the Sermon on the Mount, and I'm going to be reading Matthew 5, verses 21 through 26. And um, let me remind you, and I explained this last week, why we called it this. The sermon series is called Growing Deeper, and it's called Growing Deeper because we will hear that throughout the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus is always pushing beneath the surface of commandments towards the heart of them. So he doesn't just want surface rote obedience. He wants obedience that comes from a transformed heart. He wants kingdom values and kingdom passions to transform our outside and inside and all our actions. And this, this whole going deeper phenomenon is never more clear than in this passage. Listen and you'll hear Jesus pushing down. You've heard it said to the people long ago, you shall not murder. It's one of the Ten Commandments that Bob read earlier. And anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. But I tell you that anyone who is angry with a brother or sister will be subject to judgment. Again, anyone who says to a brother or sister, raka, is answerable to the court. And anyone who says, you fool, will be in danger of the fire of hell. Therefore, if you're offering your gift at the altar and there remember that your brother or sister has something against you, leave your gift there in front of the altar. First go and be reconciled to them, then come offer your gift. Settle matters quickly with your adversary who's taking you to court. Do it while you're still together on the way or your adversary may hand you over to the judge, and the judge may hand you over to the officer, and you may be well thrown into prison. Truly I tell you, you will not get out until you've paid the last penny. This is the word of the Lord. So of all the commandments, I think uh, you shall not murder is the one we thought, we think that we had covered. Right? We thought we got that one. Yeah, I mean, some of the other commandments pin us to the wall. You shall not bear false witness. And we all kind of know that we lie once in a while. You shall not covet. I might have coveted some of my neighbor's stuff before. But you shall not murder. I've never killed anyone. Well, at least I got one A on my report card. Look, Jesus, look at what a good person I am. But then Jesus starts to go deeper. He says, hold on there a second, Peter. Hold on there a second, the rest of you. This isn't just about whether you take someone's life. This is about your anger and how you handle your anger. If you've ever been angry at a brother or sister, you're in danger of judgment. If you've ever called your brother or sister raka, you are likely to be taken to court. And if you've called your brother or sister a fool, you are in danger of the fires of hell. All of a sudden, it doesn't look like I'm going to be keeping that A, and I don't think you will be either. Now, if your mind works like mine, 
the first thing you start to do when you hear Jesus go deeper like this and challenge you in a new way is that you start to look for loopholes and you start to say things like, well, maybe that word raka and maybe the original Greek for fool, maybe those are really bad swears. Maybe those are words that are so terrible they'd make grandma blush and maybe I've never, ever, ever used a word like that. I'm here to tell you that you're wrong. These are run-of-the-mill insults. Raka is probably best translated as something like numbskull, which is not a nice thing to call someone, but is, you know, it's not the worst thing either. And you fool, the Greek word translated fool here is more. That's a little worse than raka, but it's like, and you can probably hear this, more is the root word for the word, English word moron. So these are not nice things to call people, but neither are they so bad that I have to bleep them out of my sermon. Truth is, every single person sitting in front of Jesus would have been guilty of calling his brother or sister one of these words. And every single person sitting here today, each one of you is also guilty of calling a brother or sister one of these words. That hellfire judgment is pointed at us, at me. So the grade on a report card has changed. It went from an A to a C minus and maybe a D and perhaps an F. How do we raise our grade? Let's listen to what Jesus says. Let's listen carefully to get a sense of how he's deepening this commandment. I said earlier already that, and it's clear in, in what Jesus says, that what Jesus is really concerned with in the murder commandment is not simply the taking of life, but it's your anger and how you handle your anger. Now, I think we also know that all anger is not bad, right? Jesus got angry. In the Old Testament, God the Father gets angry many times. So, so it's not a sin to simply be angry. What Jesus is concerned about is that once you are angry, what is the path of your anger? In which direction does your anger go? That's when the trouble can start. And we can tell that Jesus is interested in the direction of your anger and how you handle your anger by the Greek word he uses for anger in this passage. Greek has two words for anger. One of the words is thumos. Thumos is like that initial spasm of anger you feel when someone wrongs you or when you see something out there in the world that you feel is wrong. Thumos is like that, that fire that, that initially bursts out that, that all of us know. That's that initial feeling of anger, okay? That is not the word Jesus uses in this passage. He does not word, use thumos. The word Jesus used for anger is orgizomenos. Orgizomenos is not that initial spasm of anger. It's maintained anger. It's anger you nurture, anger you feed, anger you build slowly into a grudge. You're a high school basketball player, and another player on the team takes your position in the starting lineup, and you feel like this is wrong. You've been working harder than that person, and you think your skills are better than that person. Thumos is that initial fire of anger that you feel when your coach first tells you that you're not in the starting lineup anymore. Orgizomenos is the grudge that you start to build towards your fellow player. The negativity you feel towards him. The way you and your friends get together and tell nasty stories about his character and his game. 
He's so cocky. Can't stand that guy. And he doesn't play defense. He's such a fool. Now, why would anyone want to nurture their anger? Why would you want to do orgasmos? Why would you want to keep that negative feeling around? Well, here's the reason. Anger promises you some things. Anger promises to give you things. Anger promises you dark power. Especially in the short term, right? If you're in a conflict and the other person gets angry or you get angry, it's a way of emotionally shoving the other person out of the way. When someone is angry, we tend to give way in conflict most of the time, right? So it can become a short-term source of power. Anger can also give you community. It can bring you people. What do we do when we're angry? We start telling our angry stories to people around us, and then eventually we find people who share our anger. And sometimes we form little tribes where we tell each other our angry stories, where we nurture each other's anger. Communities of anger are very, very dangerous. Anger can also promise to cleanse you of your sins. How does anger do that? And I want to be careful here because people like Rachel Den Hollander have taught us that we need to listen to victims who have suffered abuse and we have to, to, to believe their stories and we have to honor them. But anger can become a sort of a justifying thing when not, you're not simply the victim of something bad that's happened to you, but when your sense of grievance at that victimhood becomes the animating purpose of your entire life, becomes the center of who you are, and you return to it again and again. Because anger has this power to make you feel righteous, right? When you're angry, you feel justified. And when it becomes the central animating principle of your life, any action you may take is justified because of what those people did to you. Start a riot, burn down a building, threaten violence. It's all fine because of who those people are and what they did. Orgizomenos, nurtured anger, sustained anger is a terribly dangerous path for our anger. And I don't know if you noticed or not, in Jesus' warnings, the way he phrases his sermon, he describes a path, a trajectory for anger, a specific one, right? Jesus starts by saying, if you're angry at your brother or sister, you're in danger of judgment. But then if you say, raka, that's a little worse, now we're going down the path, then you're in danger of court. And if you call fool, a little worse yet, then you're in danger of the fires of hell. So Jesus is describing, there are lots of bad paths that your anger can go down, but Jesus is describing a specific one. He's describing the path of contempt. Anger that turns into contempt. What is contempt? Contempt is when you start to see your adversary in terms of that thing that he or she did. So it's not simply that they did a foolish thing, but they're a fool. It's not simply that they did something that you think is disgusting. You think they are disgusting and you attach a name to that disgusting person. And when you see them in terms of it, then they become someone you want to push out of your life. You just want to get rid of. You want to sweep away. And you can see how that starts to lead towards murder. Contempt isn't the only evil path that anger can take, but it's one of the worst. Jonathan Haidt, 
teaches at the University of Virginia, talks about how in the Rwandan massacre in the 90s, the Hutus who massacred all the Tutsis, an opposing tribe, used contempt to fuel their anger. Whenever they talked, the Hutus got into this practice that whenever they talked about the Tutsis, they didn't call them Tutsis, they called them cockroaches. And they just nurtured that image. Those people, they're cockroaches, they're vermin, they're cockroaches, until eventually the Hutus began to think of their opponents not as humans, but as vermin. And what do you do when a cockroach skitters across your kitchen floor? A million people died. Throughout history, when armies fight each other, and they think of the opponents that they're fighting, what do they do? They find a contemptuous name to apply to those other soldiers. Krauts, gooks, hajis, gringos. It's a lot easier to shoot someone when they're called a name. I put it to you that contempt is a huge and growing problem in our world. I feel like we are being trained daily by our culture and by the things we interact with every day to be people of contempt. We are being trained to have our anger follow the path of contempt. Where do I see that? Radio talk show hosts, late night comedians, podcasters and bloggers, from far ends of either side of the political spectrum, use contempt and ridicule to get laughs and to build listeners. This happens all the time, every day, all around us. And many of us go back to these sources, these radio shows, these late night comedians over and over and over again. And they're habituating us in contempt. It's a liturgy of contempt that we participate in week after week, day after day. You know what it is? It's anger porn. It's pornography. It does the same thing pornography does. Pornography takes something good, which is a sexual impulse, twists it into lust. This anger porn takes real grievance, real things that we think are wrong in this world, and twists them into contempt. It's terrible, and it's happening all the time, and it's forming us, and it's forming our children, and it's doing incalculable damage. Lately, we've even tolerated this practice in our country's leaders. Politicians now have a habit of, when they talk about their opponent, they don't just call their opponent Bob, they take a contemptuous adjective and attach it to Bob, loser Bob. And every time you talk about your opponent, you call him loser Bob. That's contempt. That's exactly what Jesus is talking about. It's a violation of the sixth commandment. And stuff like this is happening all around us every single day, and it's washing over us, and it's forming us, and we have to change it. It's tearing our culture apart. And it's got to start here, at the feet of Jesus, where we learn a different way. So far... I've spent a lot of time talking about the negative path for anger, where not to go. What about a positive path? Can we, can we finish with something positive here? Where would Jesus have us go with our grievances and our angers? Three things, three phrases from the sermon that Jesus uses to suggest where we might positively go. First phrase, brothers and sisters. Jesus 
continually calls the adversary brothers and sisters. Contempt wants to call the other person a name. Jesus insists on brothers and sisters. Why is that important? Well, because when you call someone a brother or sister, you're telling them, you're telling a story to yourself about them. Who is this person? They're my brother and sister in Christ, which means I'm part of their family, which means that someday I will be standing shoulder to shoulder with them in heaven, in the new creation, and there will be no more anger. We'll get along and we'll love each other. As Linda Nagel famously said, Linda, who is now in heaven herself, she said, you should try to be more nice to each other because someday you might be bunkmates with that other person in heaven. When you see that other person as a brother or sister, you can't keep holding them at the arm's length. You're moved to reconcile with them. Brother and sister. Second phrase Jesus uses. Settle matters quickly. Don't hesitate with your grievances or with the things you have against one another. Go to each other and try to work them out sooner rather than later. This is a consistent instruction in Scripture, right? Remember in Paul, Ephesians 4, don't let the sun go down on your anger. So Scripture's always saying, deal with it right away. And that makes perfect sense. Because when you wait on your anger, that's when it gets nurtured, right? That's when it turns into a hard grievance. But when you act right away, you send a positive message to your brother or sister. So if I have some sort of thing between me and you, and you know it and I know it, but I don't come to you and you don't come to me, what are we saying to each other? We're saying, well, you know what? Our relationship doesn't matter that much. I don't need to work things out with you because in the end, I just don't really care that much about our relationship. But if I go to you right away and try to work things out, I'm saying to you, this bothers me. I care about you. You're my brother. I want this to work. Third phrase, go and be reconciled to him. With those words, Jesus paints a picture of going to the other person and talking to them face to face. When you're trying to work out your anger, uh, don't send a letter, don't send a text, don't send an email, or don't just do those things because you know that when you're angry at someone and you read their email, you tend to interpret it in a negative way, right? That's what we do. Go to them face to face because when we're apart from someone, we impute negative motives on them. They did that to me because they're cold-hearted and they're nasty and they're no good people. But then you go to see them face to face and you realize, oh, it's much more complicated than that. They have feelings. They have things they love. This bothers them too. And you at least have the hope to work things out. Go face to face to your adversary. Now, none of these three things are guarantees. You could go quickly, you could call that person a brother and sister. You could go face to face, do all the things right that Jesus says, and still sometimes you go to someone and they give you the, the cold shoulder, they ridicule you, they push you away. If that happens, you got to move on to other things. But this is where Jesus wants us to start. This is the path he wants us to try. You know what? Actually, the very best way to know the proper path for your anger is not by listening to Jesus' words. It's by watching the path that he takes with his anger. Who's Jesus angry at? Us. Sin. The sins we committed. What does he do with that anger? He goes to us face to face at Bethlehem. 
And when he comes to us, he confronts us. Repent. You need to change. But he always does it in love, right? There's always that offer of mercy and hope of something better, of a new start. The confrontation and the grace right together. We can do this. We can do this. He keeps coming towards us. And then when we don't receive it right away, when he's on earth, he keeps coming. Come to me, all you labor and are heavy laden. I long to gather you under my wings, but, but you are not willing. He keeps moving towards the people who push him away. And finally, when our anger overflows and we grab him and we spit on him and we, we call him terrible names and nail him to a cross, what does he do? Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. When you follow the path of Jesus with your anger, you may confront your brother, you may speak hard truth to your sister, but there is no place for contempt before the cross. The heat of the mercy and grace that comes from the cross of Christ burns contempt away and doesn't just burn it from the surface, it burns it all the way down to the heart. Amen. Lord, you know that every single one of us, as we look at our life, as we look at the way we've handled anger in the past, every single one of us knows that we have not followed the path that you laid out for us here. We've not followed the path that you took to the cross. We know it. We thank you that we can come before your cross again this morning, fall on our knees there, and receive the forgiveness that we need. And we pray that together, Lord, together in this world that is so full of contempt, you will make us a people who are willing to confront and speak truth, but do it in love. In Christ's name, amen. Thank you for listening to the Grave Avenue CRC's Sermon Podcast.